Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is going to be on the subject of vaginal health and we're going to be covering symptoms or conditions such as recurring yeast infections, vaginal dryness, vulvodynia, pain, bacterial vaginosis, STIs, HPV, all of that taboo, unfortunately, um, stuff that we as women often deal with but don't feel like we can talk to our friends, our sisters about. So hopefully I want to give you some information today that's going to be valuable, whatever you're dealing with, or this could be something that you refer back to in the future if you find yourself struggling with one of these issues. Hopefully not, but yeah, just one of those things that can happen sometimes. But before we get into the episode, I want to give a few updates, um, kind of related as well, some of them to today's podcast. So I thought it'd be good for me to add in. So I had a smear test done in June, and I thought it was really interesting that the nurse who did the smear test, so this is a pap smear, um, it's known as in America, or a cervical um, cervical smear test in the UK. And I was around ovulation at the time, I double checked and they said that that was fine. And she was like, oh, your cervix is really high up. Did like, is that normal? And I was like, yeah, I'm at ovulation, so that's, that, that's what happens. Uh, assuming that she knew that this happened with her being a nurse, like women's health in particular. And no, she she wasn't aware of that. She said just some women have higher cervix than others. And it's, I was just saying mine is higher because I'm around ovulation currently. And then she was like, okay, then. And she did the smear, all was fine um, at the end. But she also said, oh, there's a lot of um, mucus or discharge um, on these. I think it's called speculum at the end. And I was like, yeah, is, is this normal? She's like, yeah. Um, well, she asked me, is this normal for me? I said, well, yes, it's around the time of ovulation, if it's more of the egg white type stretchy clear mucus, that's fine as opposed to like a yeast infection. And she's just like, oh, okay then. So that was a little bit um, of an eye opener. I, I knew the NHS wasn't totally familiar with like women's health and all of that, but for a women's health nurse to not really know some of these things and she was in her like fifties and sixties. So a little bit sad, but hey ho. And I had some time off in July. So I'm now recording at the end of August. Uh, It's coming up to bank holiday weekend here in the UK. So I'm spending the weekend in Wales um, at my boyfriend's parents' house. And I'm going to have the the day off on Monday as well. So a nice long weekend for me, which I'm excited for. But I also had the month off in July, which was amazing. Uh, Very well deserved. And it's been a little bit hectic since in terms of clients and catching up with everyone and new clients, um, which I'm really grateful for. Um, And welcome to you all if you're new listeners as well. But in July, it was my brother's wedding in Cornwall, so we went down there um, and then went to Wales again and went to see my friend Cassie and her new baby girl in um, a red Birmingham area. So it was a pretty packed month, to be honest, and I didn't really rest too much, having um, booked it off to have a little bit of a chill. Um, but I did get a little bit of a flu illness after my brother's wedding, I think just because my body's not used to staying up later anymore and having a few drinks on the wedding. I mean, I didn't get drunk or anything like that, but um, kind of just staying on the beach late and just being a bit out of my routine, not eating my usual food. I think I got a little bit run down and that can happen often when you're um, you're going on holiday or you work yourself hard so you can have a break at Christmas and then you have the break and you get sick with something because it's your body was kind of running on adrenaline prior to that, trying to get everything sorted and get things in order because um, having your own business, you have to be in charge of pretty much everything. Um, luckily I had my podcast editor Kira who will be editing this as well so thank you Kira for your support during that time as well but yeah I got this little illness and 
I thought it was hay fever at first because it was really hot when we was down there as well. And I thought it was the different pollen, but my nose was literally streaming nonstop. Um, and I had, I think I had a sore throat, a headache, just feeling tired for about two, three days after the wedding. Um, I tested and it wasn't COVID, but people forget, don't they, that you can just have regular colds and flus and everyone just puts the blame on COVID these days and it's not necessarily the case. But after dosing myself upon vitamin C, zinc, immune support, all those good stuff, herbs, throat sprays, I always take everything with me just in case, which I'm glad that I did, but recovered pretty well. And then I've also been since um, since coming back to work to a pelvic floor physiotherapist. I'm pretty sure that's her title um, because I was having an issue with my menstrual cup. So I've used a menstrual cup um, for about three years now, maybe four years since getting my period back after coming off the pill and not having one for two years because my health was pretty much wrecked at that point. So I've used a menstrual cup um, kind of exclusively since that point with no issues at all, absolutely loved it, promoted it to everyone because it was so easy, obviously eco-friendly as well. But for me and my type of regular flow cycle, I could put it in in the morning, leave it in for 12 hours, empty it out, and it would be pretty full at that point. But going to sleep with it in was totally fine. It was comfortable, no issues until around March time of this year. I put it in one cycle as normal, um, didn't change a thing. And I went to pull it out and it, it kind of suctioned to a different, it's kind of suctioned to my cervical wall or possibly my cervix. I'm not quite sure that initial time. So I, I pulled it like I usually do and um, squeezing the bottom to try and unsuction the sides. And that's how it releases. But it started to pull on my insides. And I was like, oh God, this isn't, this isn't happened before. What's going on? And um, so I just kind of ran my finger in the rim like they tell you to do. And it just wouldn't release. It's really suctioned on to my vaginal wall. And eventually, I don't know what I did, but I ended up getting it out, thank God. And it was a little bit sore and I was a bit stressed afterwards, but I thought it was just a one-off. So I tried it again the next day. And I just left it out that night, and but tried it the next day. Same thing happened and literally not been able to get it out successfully since. So I've just left it alone and I've yeah, tried multiple times. And they say to relax, but the the pain and the, the fear of it is a little bit scary. So I've just been using organic tampons and pads since that point. But I thought I'd go and get checked out in case it had caused some structural damage um, with me pulling at it a little bit. I didn't, I didn't know if I'd cause like a prolapse, even though I wasn't really having any symptoms of that. So I searched for local pelvic floor physios and um, I went to one called Bumps to Beyond in Sale. So we're in the Manchester area, northwest of England, and had a really great experience with Deb, who was there. She, I think she's the um, practice manager or, or the main person there. And she did an internal exam and said we couldn't really find anything wrong. But she was saying that in the world of pelvic floor physio, there's some concerns around menstrual cups, which I wasn't really aware of. I know that some people with endometriosis or fibroids or pelvic pain, some of these conditions that we're going to be talking about today can't use them because anything just in the area, even tampons can just cause inflammation. So I knew about that, but with other people, I've been promoting them like crazy. And have, so far, majority of the time, um, clients have had good success with them. But she was saying just long term with anything like this, new inventions, we're not quite sure how that suction effect is going to play out over the years of you using that every single menstrual cycle until menopause. And just over the years, just it might start to pull down on some of the internal organs, which isn't great. And I want to do everything that I can to keep my pelvic floor strong um, as I go on to have kids in the future. But um, yeah, just something to think of. If you're using one currently, like I'm very jealous. I, I love them and still promote them. But if they're not working for you, don't keep forcing it. And this is just a reminder for me that I already knew this, but everyone's body is a little bit different and things can change as well. Um, my body, for some reason, had changed. Uh, maybe my hormones have fluctuated and it's just not working for me now. So I kind of have to let go of that. And I'm still using the organic um, best quality stuff that I can find. But yeah, I thought I'd show that as well. It's kind of related to today's conversation. And then not on the pelvic floor side of things, but another more life update. So it's again, end of August currently. And my boyfriend is moving in with me 
in September. This was not planned, but he lives in Manchester city centre. He's currently living with his friend and roommate and his move, his roommate's moving out with his girlfriend. And um, so he's just going to be left on his own and he doesn't want to stay in that place. Um, it would be too expensive for him to stay on his own. So he's been for the past few months looking at apartments in and around the Manchester area, but couldn't find anything. They're all just being snapped up like within days some of them and not being allowed to make viewings because they're fully booked. Um, and he's been away um, back home and things and working a lot. So he's not a chance to look. And if, like in the blink of an eye, September's rolling around and he's nowhere to live. So I offered um, early on just saying, if you need somewhere, don't be pressured and forced to choose something that you're not hundred percent. Cause we've been looking at a few places for him and they were, weren't good options and I don't want to be staying in places like that like moldy places I'm like no like I'd rather you come and stay with me for a period of time so that's going to be happening in the I think the first week of September which will be fun um he's already used to me having some weird habits in terms of health and all of that but he's going to have to get used to seeing me on my infrared sauna mat and with my red light glasses on at night with the, the blue light blocking lenses and doing coffee enemas on occasion but <laughs> thought I'd just share that as well. Um, so a few adjustments moving forward. Um, my birthday's in September as well, which I'm excited for. Got a nice spa trip booked, which is well overdue. Um, I know first world problems, but I could do with a massage sometime soon. But a few things on today's subject of vaginal health that I want to cover before getting into some of these conditions in a bit more detail is that number one, the vagina is self-cleaning. Warm water is enough. No soaps, no douches, because they can often irritate the area, especially if they're more conventionally made products that have parabens and sulfates. They can throw off the pH as well, because soap is like very alkaline and our vagina and parts of our body should be madly acidic. And cervical mucus is normal. Some people, because they've been on the pill for such a long time, which can dry up the cervical mucus, they think that they have yeast infections when they stop taking it. They're like, what is this stuff coming out of me? And it's totally normal. Um, and again, people don't talk about it. They think they're the only one who gets it or um, maybe the type of mucus is different to the friends or whatever, or it might've changed again based on your cycle, where you are in life. But I'll just give you an overview what to expect. So on your period, it's gonna be pretty dry in terms of mucus production, because you're gonna be bleeding. And then after your period, it might be a little bit dry as well for a few days. But then as estrogen starts to rise, your mucus starts to be produced because estrogen is what stimulates that. And it can be kind of a sticky, white, tacky sensation for a few days. And then as your estrogen gets even higher and you approach ovulation, it can turn into like a creamy hand lotion texture, so like a white off-white color. And then around ovulation, this is kind of the star of the show. Um, and it's probably the easiest to identify. It would be clear, stretchy, slippery mucus. And they describe it as being like raw egg whites, not cooked egg whites. That would be potentially more of a yeast infection type situation. And some people experience um, mid-cycle uh, mid spotting. So it could have a little bit of a hint of pink in there around that stretchy egg white mucus. That can be normal, but it is recommended just get it checked out just in case because it can indicate some of these things that we're covering today. But things to look out for to avoid would be any um, really weird colours like green, not normal in terms of cervical mucus. If it's very smelly, itchy, very thick, like cottage cheese is another description. And that can indicate thrush um, and foul odours can indicate things like bacterial vaginosis or BV. Third thing that I wanted to mention is that the vaginal canal and the vagina itself is a very absorptive area. And that's why medications are sometimes administered that way. But you have to be really careful what you put in or near there. So in terms of sanitary or intimate products, anything that's fragranced, soap, anything like that, just really um, try to avoid. And it isn't meant to smell like roses. So this is my final, final point. Uh, it is an organ at the end of the day, and it's literally inside of our body. So it's going to smell a little bit different than something like our arm. And this can change based on where you're at in your menstrual cycle and just life in general. So on your period, you might find that it smells a bit more irony due to your period blood. And it can be a bit more earthy after your period 
because of the use of tampons and pads, just kind of making it more of a damp um, damp environment that bacteria can start to thrive on. So you don't want to be leaving the tampons in there for um, several hours at a time. Ovulation, you actually produce more pheromones um, in terms of smell around that time. And this is physiologically to attract a mate. And so it can be a more fragrant aroma. If there's any smells like fishiness, that tends to be bacterial vaginosis, any yeasty or bread-like smells, like very sweet sugary, that can be thrush or fungal, a very putrid smell combined with foamy or green discharge can be a, a tiny parasite STI called trichinomyosis. I think that's how you say it. I can never pronounce it. Trichinomyosis. Yeah, we'll call it that. So if you search um, parasite STI um, and green discharge, that's the one that you're going to see. Um, and conventional antibiotics are usually the go-to recommendation in that case. But the first condition that we're going to talk about, just touched on, is recurring yeast infections. Symptoms associated are going to be that white vaginal discharge, often thick like cottage cheese. Usually doesn't smell, but there's often itching and irritation around the vagina, soreness and or stinging during sex or when you pee. And you might also have issues with other fungal infections in or on the body. So um, if your stool test has showed up with high candida or your organic acid test has showed fungal markers, if you're dealing with mold illness, fungal acne, athlete's foot, under your armpits, gets fungal rashes, ringworm, condition called pityriasis versicolor, which often affects people's back and trunk. And it kind of looks like white spots, like discoloration. A lot of gym users and men get this when they're working out, um, if they're not washing themselves immediately after and the, the sweat is laying, is staying on the skin. Um, dandruff as well, if you're dealing with that, it might be linked. Or symptoms of candida and yeast overgrowth, like sugar cravings, IBS, brain fog, etc. And gut health is really number one when it comes to yeast infection. So you don't want to just annihilate all bacteria and yeast in the localized area. You have to think of why it's happening in the first place which can be from high levels of antibiotic usage, because when the antibiotics kill off bacteria, good and bad, that suppresses your immune system. And that allows yeast that we all have in our bodies on our skin to start to overgrow. So yeast isn't bad. It's when your own immune system can't keep it in check that it becomes a problem. So antibiotic use is the first one, most common. Bad diet and lifestyle, so in terms of alcohol intake, which is a lot of it just fermented yeast and sugars. Um, sugar intake, just overall, mainly the refined stuff, but sometimes when you have yeast and fungal overgrowth, you need to be mindful of your healthy sugars as well in terms of carbohydrate intake. You don't want to be overdoing it with fruits, fruit juices, um, and lots of carbohydrates in your diet for a period of time. Medications like the oral contraceptive pills, because of the effects on your gut bacteria, again, killing that off, suppressing it, depletes certain nutrients like zinc that are important for healthy immune, immune systems and the synthetic estrogen that can make you more prone to yeast overgrowth as well. And then things like mold exposure, environmental toxicity, like heavy metals, particularly copper and mercury, are very much linked to yeast infections and overgrowths, either vaginal or systemic. So I use mineral hair testing, HTMA, to assess that with my clients. So the, the gut is the central hub for infections. So if that one is off, then other microbiomes of the skin, of the body, like the skin, the urinary tract, the vaginal tract, the mouth can be thrown off as well. And it's not just candida. That is the main one that we hear about with candida albicans, like candida diets and all sorts of supplements. But there are many other species as well that might be present. So treatment, internal and external approach is needed. Internal, I would address with clients all those causes that I mentioned above. So gut health, cleaning up your diet, reducing the sugars, and also yeast and yeasty foods and mold-prone foods. So things like grains, if possible, coffee, peanuts, um, and bread that has things like yeast and nutritional yeast would be another one for a period of time. I would do things like spore-based probiotics because they can help whatever's going on in the gut. They help to boost bacteria if that's needed or if there's major overgrowths and infections it will help to gently lower the counts and um, potentially working towards antifungal herbs and products things like allicin which is derived from garlic oregano neem undersilinic acid or caprylic acid which are both 
antifungal properties derived from coconut and that those fatty acids kind of pierce into the um, fungal organism and makes it easier to kill off. And making sure that your zinc levels are fine, but please don't supplement without knowing what you're doing, especially high doses, um, because you can then throw off your levels of copper. And copper, copper managing that might also be very important based on a client's HDMA test, but there are some symptoms and things involved in risk factors, like being on a vegan or vegetarian diet, having a copper coil. You might want to check into that more if that's something that you're dealing with. And it's probably going to be best to avoid sex during a flare-up because cross-contamination can happen, it's very real. I would recommend using condoms, the non-toxic ones, because some contain lubricants or ingredients that can disrupt the vaginal flora even further. And so you try and do a good thing, but could just potentially be making more irritation and making sure that you wash yourself off afterwards with warm water. And then topical things, regular treatments like Caniston, Caniston Duo aren't great because it doesn't address the root cause. That's why people are on them for years on end but some more natural things that you can do would be, most people have heard of it, like live plain yogurt on the area. Don't be using any like strawberry, sugary yogurts on there, please. Herbal or probiotic pessaries can be available and purchased from some companies that have ingredients like borax, lactobacillus. But be careful with any containing essential oils as they can be very strong and could just irritate the area again. And then on to bacterial vaginosis. This is kind of similar to the yeast infections and thrush but this time it's the bacteria that gets imbalanced. And usually there's too much bad and not enough good bacteria here. And they can obviously occur together, which you can imagine would be very unpleasant to have both, but it's similar to the gut um, piece that I mentioned, because once um, your immune system down, then these infections, like these normal bacteria often, or fungus and yeast, they just get out of hand. And I see this a lot that these infections go together. So it's like when, when you have parasites in the gut, you also have candida, bad bacteria that can happen elsewhere in the body as well. BV, I'll, I'll shorten it to BV, bacterial vaginosis, is very common. Around 30% of women between the ages of 20 and 50 have BV at some point in, in their life. Conventional treatment is usually antibiotics, which I don't recommend if possible, because this is just going to exacerbate the issue because antibiotics wipe out bacteria, good and bad, further imbalancing your gut flora, and they don't address the underlying reasons why, which can be similar to the thrush issue, antibiotic usage, bad diet and lifestyle, medications, um, immune suppression from things like chronic infections, Lyme disease, um, mold exposure, environmental toxins like heavy metals. Symptoms can be a thin, grayish-coloured discharge, a strong, unpleasant, often fishy odour, and vaginal itching and or irritation. Then solutions, we want to fix the main ecosystem of the gut, which is the home of your immune system. That's where 80% of your immune cells live. By clearing up any additional infections and inflammation um, in there, so if there's parasites in there, you want to clear that. H. pylori, that could be having an effect on suppressing the immune system. If they're eating gluten and they're sensitive to, that's just going to be causing leaky gut ongoing. Clean up their diet, limiting sugar and alcohol. Be careful when having sex. Probably best to use um, condoms or barrier methods when this is an acute situation. But the non-toxic brands, as I suggested before. Topicals, you want to treat it topically as well with yogurts, probiotic pessaries, or herbal ones that are available from some companies like Vitanica, which I will link in the episode show notes if you want to try them out. Do you love coffee, but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS, and period problems? Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided because the majority are contaminated with things like mold and pesticides, which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great, is organic and mold-free, and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores. Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess. But King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. 
If you haven't already heard of the benefits of Reishi Mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. This means if your immune system is overactive due to autoimmunity, or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, the ratio can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question. Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics. The regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes and also my bio link on Instagram. I really hope you love it as much as I do, but now let's get back to the show. On to the next condition, which is vaginal dryness. So this can change throughout the menstrual cycle as well, the cervical mucus or discharge. Um, and it's often dry after, during and after the period. That's because estrogen is the lowest and you're the most lubricated around ovulation as uh, so mucus thickens as a, way to, as a way to capture the sperm for conception. And this is your most fertile time. So you can recognize that if you're trying to conceive or if you're wanting to avoid conception, you would just be uh, mindful of that time. And it's a little bit different for everyone, but usually mid-cycle. So on a typical 28-day cycle, around day 14, that could happen. So some reasons for vaginal dryness are going to be age. Your hormones naturally decline around the age of 35 to 40 because of perimenopause. Um, and this could be, it could be a big problem for those in full-blown menopause in the 50s or later um, because the hormones are quite low at that point. So you might want to consider bioidenticals if things are really bad and there's creams and things that we can talk about. But I want to emphasize the importance of adrenal reserve for those in menopause because that gives you extra things like testosterone so once your ovaries go into retirement once that last period has happened your body then relies on your adrenal glands which are the the stress glands on top of your kidneys to make hormones ongoing um, little bits of estrogen things like dha and testosterone and testosterone is also needed for vaginal lubrication as well so um, a reason could just be hormone imbalances in general so not necessarily um, perimenopause, menopause, it could just be someone in their 20s who has low estrogen uh, or, and or low androgen levels like DHEA, testosterone. And the biggest culprits for this tend to be things like chronic stressors, uh, chronic infections, like see mold exposure being a big one, don't have the building blocks to make these things where so someone's under eating or significantly under eating any particular macronutrients, protein, carbs, fats, all very important. So diet is a key one and there's nutrients like zinc that are important for production of these hormones as well. And then diet hydration is something like very much overlooked and so important. We get very narrowed in on these more complex things and then we forget about the simple acts of drinking enough water throughout the day. But not just drinking water, it needs to be the right quality. Ideally, so filtered water is my top recommendation just to avoid a medication residue. So if you're not on the pill, the people who are like peeing into the toilets and um, who are on the pill that gets filtered a little bit but there's still residue and you can think of you're drinking a ton of water that's just going to be adding to your toxic burden and um, the certain heavy metals in the water i recommend the berkey filter if you can afford that it's kind of like a countertop tank and that's really great because it gets rid of everything that you don't really want but doesn't um, strip the water completely of everything minerals included like some other reverse osmosis ones can and you want to make sure that you're drinking enough so i usually say two to three liters a day is fine i wouldn't go more than that because then you can run into depletion of your electrolytes and your minerals but you want to make sure that you're hydrated at a cellular level and this is another reason that i do the hma with my clients and i offer it as part of all of my packages um one-on-one -on -one packages 
is because you could be drinking enough, but if you don't have enough, for example, sodium, then the hydration isn't going to be retained. It's not going to be hydrating you at a cellular level. And it's kind of just going straight through. And that could lead you to just be peeing out all day long and still feel like you have dehydration because of symptoms like uh, dry skin, dry hair, brain fog, constipation, etc. The other thing that's important for vaginal dryness, if you're dealing with that, is to work on your sexual energy, feminine energy, and your relationship as a whole, because you need to be in the parasympathetic nervous system to be relaxed enough to orgasm and create cervical mucus and kind of receive in the body. And there's a common thing that people say, like women are like slow cookers. They often need a good 20, 40 minutes of foreplay and relaxation to be aroused enough for penetration. Whereas men are like frying pans. They can just look at something and get horny. So if you are just coming from work or you've just put the kids to bed and you expect um, your partner expects you and them to have sex immediately, then no wonder that you're struggling with vaginal dryness. So really make sure that you're looking into this aspect as well. I know some people who are with the partners and they just don't get turned on anymore. And they just think it's the body's broken, but it's because they're not actually happy in the relationship as well. Or there's a lot of women now are very much in the masculine and they're like, go, 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 nonstop working for themselves or making their own businesses or trying to run a household and run a full-time job at the same time. And they're very much in the masculine energy and that can manifest as a lot of hormonal issues, um, a lot of PCOS type symptoms as well, acne, those types of things. So working on slowing down and researching more about feminine energy and things like that would be recommended. Um, my podcast with Monica Yates is going to be an amazing one. I'll, I'll mention some other podcast episodes towards the end that can be useful. So stay tuned for that one. So I'll, I'll link it in the show notes as well. If you want to learn a little bit more. Vulvodynia is another condition that I want to talk about. So vulvodynia, the, the term means pain in or around the vulva, which is the external genitalia. The vagina really only is the vaginal canal. So if I'm saying vagina throat, I really do mean vulva, but I think it's just more, it's going to be easier to understand in these, in these episodes. So the pain may be there all the time, or it might come and go. And if your vulvodynia is provoked, then it only bothers you when the tissue is irritated during sex, wiping after using the bathroom, wearing tight pants, sitting, etc. Whereas if it's generalized, the pain can just be random and surface at any time. So there's a few different types and it can manifest and look a little bit different. And that's why it can be difficult to diagnose in some cases. And then in terms of um, root causes, Again, gut health, like the Hippocrates thing, like all disease begins in gut, really is true for a lot of these conditions. So I would always recommend starting there. And even studies have shown that women with vulvodynia are more likely to be diagnosed with both depression and IBS. All of these conditions, oh, well, depression and IBS, we know are definitely um, linked to poor gut health, like the gut-brain connection. If you're having digestive symptoms and that's showing you that you have poor gut health, um, root causes of poor gut health can be infections, parasites, leaky gut, SIBO. Um, so you want to work on things like that, if possible, candida overgrowth. Food sensitivities are another one. And this does still tie into poor gut health because that's ultimately how intolerances and allergies develop. You need to have had a leaky gut at some point to develop them in the first place. And it's common, commonly issues with food compounds like oxalates. Um, is a big one. So foods like spinach, chocolate, nuts, rhubarb, sweet potato, and celery. You can Google some lists of these things for yourself, but they're the most common. And some people have genetic issues breaking them down. So it could be that you're always prone to having high buildup of these things. High oxalates can also be linked to things like kidney stones as well. And if you're not breaking them down properly, it can lead to the formation of these tiny crystal-like structures that can lodge into tissues and muscles causing pain and inflammation in different parts of the bodies. But I see the root cause of that being very much fungal and yeast overgrowth, and sometimes mold exposure as well, and usually a B6 deficiency um, because you need B6 to break down the oxalates as well. Histamines are another compound that can be a problem. I've personally had issues with histamines. Um, mine used to uh, inflame my bladder. So I would, I would feel like I was going to wet myself. It would just get very 
and very much the urge that I needed to go to the bathroom. And then sometimes I just couldn't hold it. It would just come out. I went to the doctor when I was younger and they just told me to do more Kegel exercises, which um, I'll, I'll not go into, but that wasn't the answer. It's because I had mold illness and muscle activation and my body's just reacted to everything. So histamines and even some of these other things like oxalates can be linked to chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic pain elsewhere in the body. Histamine doesn't necessarily have to cause vulvodynia, but it can cause things like um, interstitial cystitis and overactive bladder, acne, anxiety, IBS as well. But foods like citrus foods, fermented, aged or cured foods like sauerkraut, aged beef, cheese, alcohol, and then vegetables like spinach, tomato might be a problem. But in the case of any food sensitivity, unless it's more of a long-term intolerance like gluten can be for a lot of people, it's almost never these foods that are the real problem. It's more of your body being the problem. So short-term elimination diets might be helpful just to give you some relief and you can just test it out and see whether it is something to look further into, but you should be able to tolerate these foods in the long run. And I wouldn't recommend cussing them out for more than two to four weeks, unless you're working at the same time on addressing these root causes. Don't just keep cutting things out like food group after food group, because that isn't fixing the cause. And you're ultimately going to run into further issues like nutrient deficiencies and your adrenals and thyroid are going to be depleted as well. And it's going to be harder to heal in the long run. Hormones are also important for um, overcoming vulvodynia or preventing it in the first place. Your vagina needs healthy hormones to function optimally. Hormones like estrogen help to keep bacteria and pH in balance. Um, it helps to create cervical mucus for healthy lubricated tissues. So if you've got hormonal imbalances, you might run into issues with just dryness and therefore you're more likely to get infections. Many women have low hormones like estrogen, progesterone and testosterone for a number of reasons and also adrenal dysfunction. High or low cortisol can also be an issue or a factor within this. Structural issues. Muscles can be too tight or weak or in a spasm with vulvodynia. And I recommend highly visiting a women's health physio or pelvic health specialist because they can give you an internal examination and let you know what the problem is so that you can then come up with a protocol and do some exercises. And it could partly be related to stress as well. If you're tense all over the body, it could be like something like a magnesium deficiency, um, just your body's tensed up. But stress could obviously be the mental, emotional worry and just day-to-day -day stress but a huge one with some of these conditions is sexual trauma and or shame um, and I see this a lot in my clients and there's varying degrees of severity when I mention things like trauma it could be as minor I'm doing quotes here um, as being raised in a household where talking about sex was taboo or frowned upon or it could have been that you were caught masturbating or having sex when you were younger and that's just caused some ongoing fears and limiting beliefs or having sex with someone when it wasn't hundred percent yes on your part. And then obviously more serious things like rape, abuse, the things that people mainly think of when you say the term sexual trauma and there's different therapies, therapists out there who specialize in these areas, but this could be tied along with the hormone imbalances. Cause if you've been through something like that, then your, your adrenals are going to be more stressed um, so it could just be multiple different things stem as a result. Next condition is vaginismus. Vaginismus is an automatic reaction where your vaginal muscles tighten up and tense whenever penetration is attempted. Conventional and holistic recommendations, they kind of say the same thing, which is great. So psychosexual therapy is recommended, relaxation techniques and pelvic floor exercises and therapy because it is very much a stress and nervous system and energy-based condition common drivers i think this was even from the nhs website is that fearing your vagina is too small or you're insecure about your vagina for whatever reason a bad first sexual experience or any ongoing sexual trauma or discomfort an unpleasant medical examination so i've had some clients who go in for a smear test and the the nurse doing it um didn't use enough lubrication or it just really hurt them for whatever reason then they've just been scared ever since Believing sex is shameful or wrong, like I mentioned before, or a painful medical conditions causing inflammation in the area like thrush. Your body could just be rejecting anything that's going in there, even things like tampons. 
but your nervous system and adrenals could also be on overdrive from unconscious or stresses or internal factors like chronic infections, mineral imbalances. Again, if you're severely deficient in minerals, then your body's just not going to be functioning well. Your body's just going to be stressed because it knows something's wrong. Or if you have a chronic infection like Lyme disease or parasite infections, your body is just going to be in sympathetic nervous system overdrive all the time. Chronic pain can be linked to sexually transmitted infections, which we're going to come on to. Vulvodynia, vaginismus, dryness, yeast infections that we've covered today, but also conditions like endometriosis, which I have other more in-depth episodes on, like episode 13 with Kate Poe, which was a while ago. And I actually ran a webinar with the College of Naturopathic Medicine, CNM, on PCOS and endo, which is coming out in September. So you can grab a ticket for that. Um, if you want a free ticket, actually, send me a DM and um, I will, if it's before the day, I can't remember the exact date, unfortunately, but if it's still available, I can get you a free ticket for that so you can watch it back. And I recommend for pain, getting checked out by your gynecologist or doctor or pelvic health physio and specialist. Just see as many people as you can, investigate some of the things covered today and implement some of the recommendations that I covered. They would be my top tips for chronic pain. And then sexually transmitted infections, some conditions are going to be chlamydia, herpes, and HPV. They're the most common ones that I see. HPV is the most common STD out there, so we'll start with that. And most advice that I give will likely cross over to other um, viral-based STIs because it's all about supporting the immune system. So HPV is human papillomavirus, um, but with viruses, we can't get rid of them. We just need to boost our immune system and keep them in check. And sometimes when we get run down, they come to the surface. But for bacterial STDs like chlamydia, conventional antibiotics are likely going to be needed um, and are usually the go-to for treatment of these ones. So regular testing with your partners and yourself is important. Using protection with new partners, communication is key. They're really nothing to be ashamed of. And if they're left untreated, they can unfortunately lead to things like pelvic inflammatory disease and infertility. So you really want to get them investigated and checked out, nipped in the bud as quickly as possible. They're very common. A lot of my clients have them. I ask in every intake form, have you had them? And people sometimes leave it off, but then tell me a little bit later, but it's really nothing to be ashamed of. And it still is a taboo subject, unfortunately. And many of my clients have had at least one. And if the health of your vagina is off in terms of pH, vaginal flora, then you're maybe going to be more likely to be affected by STIs as you don't have proper defenses to ward them off. So if you're dealing with chronic thrush or BV or something's a little bit abnormal and painful at the moment, that's why you want to get it under control, not just to help your current symptoms and to live a little bit more of a um, happier life, but to help future conditions like prevent them as well that's what we do with all of my hormone balancing work and gut work you're not just helping the conditions you have now you're reducing the risk of chronic disease long down the line because you're just getting your body working better so hpv um, can often cause abnormal smear tests and it can be very scary as we don't get taught what it actually means and many of you might have got the hpv vaccination um, in high school i personally didn't get it which I'm kind of glad about because it doesn't protect you as much as you're led to believe. And obviously uh, any vax can come with issues, um, pretty relevant in this current time of recording. But yeah, my mum for some reason just didn't want me to get it. Um, and I was, I was trying to push her to let me get it done, similar to what I did with the pills. She was like, no, don't go on that. Like try to find some other alternatives. And I was like, no, no, I, I want it. I want it. Uh, so with the pills, she finally said that was fine because it was like affecting my skin and things so much. And I didn't know any other alternatives. But with the, the vaccine, she was just like, no, you're not going to get this. And the good thing is that most HPV infections clear up on their own and most precancerous lesions resolve spon spontaneously. It's very rare that full-blown cancer will develop, especially if you're following some of the recommendations I give on my podcast here my Instagram account in terms of healthy lifestyles and diet. Although it's important still to be mindful of cervical cancer signs, and they can include vaginal bleeding, after sex, mid-cycle, menopause, 
unexplained persistent pelvic pain, back pain, or lower abdominal bloating. It's always best to get those checked out by a doctor, but obviously these symptoms can be due to other health issues and general gut and hormone imbalances. So don't freak yourself out after hearing that. And if your smear or pap test comes back with mild cervical changes, you're usually just told to monitor each year because most cases clear on their own and that's well, well known. But to me, it all comes back to regulating your immune system because that should keep these infections that we're all exposed to at bay. So reducing inflammation and gut health is the home of your immune system and your immune system is what creates inflammation. So that's why you always want to start there. Um, protecting your microbiome, maybe using some probiotics. And I don't use a lot of just anti-inflammatory supplements anymore, like turmeric and ginger these days. I prefer to work on the source of the inflammation. But in these cases, I would probably just, just to be as safe as possible and just to use as many tools as we could just to use things like that. And there has been studies on ginger and turmeric with HPV, whilst I would also help someone to address holistically the root cause of why they're inflamed in the first place. And there have been studies on turmeric, like I said, the active component of turmeric, um, on uh, curcumin, sorry, the active component of turmeric, and how it alters HPV-associated molecular pathways in cancer cells, and it suppresses cervical cancer growth. Then you could always consume it in diet for either reducing the risk or as maintenance after treatment, you can consume these herbs in your diet and a little bit of black pepper and healthy fats along with the turmeric is going to make it more bioavailable. Restoring energy efficiencies is going to help you regulate your immune system, particularly nutrients like folate or B9. I wouldn't recommend folic acid because not a lot of people can use that and convert that because of genetic variants. So I stick with methylated folate. Antioxidants like glutathione, which the body can make on, on its own using amino acids, um, the glycine, cysteine, and glutamine. Um, also nutrients like vitamin C. NAC, which is N-acetylcysteine, can help your body to make more glutathione. Enemas, coffee enemas, increase glutathione by like, I think it's like 600 times, which is absolutely crazy. But you can take glutathione liposomally as well. Um, green tea has been shown to help. Uh, selenium and then vitamins A, C and E. ACE are great for your immune system and have been shown to help with HPV. Managing stress is so important. This means slowing down, doing some breathing exercises, meditation if that's for you, prioritizing sleep, sometimes using adaptogenic herbs like ashwagandha, rhodiola, holy basil, just to strengthen the body and the vitality at a quicker speed. And it could be also a localized issue with the vaginal microbiome. So if you listen to episode 39 of the podcast with Debbie Cotton, um, she talks more about this. So if you've got a history of thrush, if you're using non-organic sanitary products or soaps and douches, which are off the pH, it could lower the levels of um, good bacteria, good organisms and increase the bad guys, potentially things like the human papilloma virus. So just be mindful of that. We need to look at things holistically and not just kill, kill, kill certain bacteria. You want to do like we do with anything, like strengthen the body, strengthen the vessel and the host. And yes, you might need to knock down the levels with some antimicrobial herbs in some of these cases like brush, but our bodies know what to do. And there's usually something getting in the way or it doesn't have the building blocks. It needs to function optimally. And then there are some special things um, I've heard good things about a, a supplement called AHCC. I'm not going to say the full name, but it's a derivative from um, reishi mushroom, I think, or part of the mushroom family. And um, yeah, you can look at that online. There is a person I follow on Instagram. Her name is Mimi. Um, I'll link her in the show notes as well. I can't remember her name, but she stocks that and she's got really great success with helping people with HPV. And I think she has a little mini course as well which could be useful if that's something that you're currently struggling with or are fearful about. So useful episodes. I've mentioned a few. Episode 39 with Debbie Cotton. That's all about the vaginal microbiome and how to improve that and how it changes throughout the years. Episode number 42 is also great. So that's with Jessica Drummond on chronic pelvic pain and associated conditions. So she talks about vulvodynia, things like endometriosis, which can cause pain. Number 73 with Dr. Annika Becker. 
this is a few different subjects covered in the podcast, but she talks more towards the end about vaginal dryness. And uh, she has a great topical product called Julva, which I think might only be available in America. Um, or if it is in the UK, it, it can be a little bit expensive, but that's got some hormones in there as well, um, which locally supports the vaginal tissue if you're really dealing with um, vaginal dryness more towards perimenopause, menopause. And then episode 111 with Monica Yates, we talk about the more energetic side of things. So if you're someone dealing with those sexual shame, trauma, rape um, side of things, we talk about the sacral chakra and the emotional blockages, which can be contributing to hormonal imbalances. So I hope you found that useful. Please share this with any ladies that you think could benefit, as you'd be surprised how many women struggle with one or more of these issues ongoing and think it's normal or can't overcome them or find any answers online. So I really appreciate if you were to share this, leave me a rate and review, let me know if you've enjoyed this episode and I'll see you back here next week. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rate and a review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain, and refined sugar-free recipes, and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health, as I share a ton of free content every day, and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, for my blog and many free guides, which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss, or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.